Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to all our brothers and sisters who have joined us in church this morning to worship our trying God. We also extend a special welcome to all the visitors who have joined us here in this church and to those who have joined us remotely via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel. May God be praised and glorified through our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. Consistory as elders only will meet the Lord willing at 8pm tomorrow. You are reminded of the coffee social after this service. All are welcome. And this morning the worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. Before we commence this service, let us sing together from hymn 55 verse 1. rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Receive God's greeting. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing a song of praise, Psalm 146, the verses 1 and 3.
God's given us his law in order to teach us how to live with him and also to show us everything that he's done for us in Christ. Let's listen to the words of God's law as it comes to us this morning in Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And our Lord Jesus Christ, he also taught this in a summary. In Matthew 22, he was approached by one of the teachers of the law, and the, the man asked him the question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so love is the fulfillment of God's law. Let's sing together, brothers and sisters. We're going to sing from Psalm 25, the verses 4 and 5.
Let's pray to God and let's ask him for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, as an act of grace, you bring us together here this morning. It is your pleasure to give us a, a Lord's Day, a day where we celebrate the resurrection of our, Jesus, of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's your pleasure to give us a day of rest, a day where we can set aside a regular work. And it's your pleasure to call us into your presence so that we may meet with you, and that you would speak words of grace to us. Thank you, Lord, that, that you remind us of your grace and that you are at peace with us that these are the first words you speak to us every time we worship you. You're an awesome God, and we are thankful for the grace and the peace that we have in Christ. Thank you also that you give us your, your word, your commands. It's through your commands that you teach us your character. You show us what a great God you are, and you teach us what it takes to live in a relationship with yourself. Father, we thank you that you desire this relationship. It is your joy to, to reveal yourself to us and to draw us to you. And we pray, Father, that you please bless us, that we may draw near to you. Give us a rich measure of your spirit. We also pray for a blessing over the preaching. Grant that as we hear your word this morning, that we can understand how you wish us to live, how you wish us to reflect your character in our dealings with each other. Please also help us to humble ourselves before you, to realize how much we need Jesus Christ as our Savior, and to rely upon the Holy Spirit to renew us. Father, please work powerfully in our hearts with your Holy Spirit, that we may believe what you say to us, and that we would apply these things to our lives. Father, we also confess that we have sinned against you. This past week we've done different things, sometimes deliberately, sometimes because of weakness, sometimes in ignorance, where we've sinned against you. Father, please forgive us for these things. Please show us mercy. We're sorry that we haven't loved you as we should. And we, we repent of the way that we haven't loved the people around us. Our spouses, our family members, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our workmates, the way that we should have. Please show us mercy. And please wipe away our sin for Christ's sake. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I have the privilege of bringing God's word to you concerning Malachi 2, the verses 10 through 16. It's a passage in which the Lord teaches us about the sanctity of marriage. He admonishes the people in Malachi's time because they are not honoring marriage as they should. And one of the places in scripture where the Lord teaches us about his intention and purpose for marriage is in Genesis 2. So we're going to start reading together Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25. Genesis 2. I invite you to open your Bible to page 2. In Genesis 2, we're going to start reading at verse 18. There God's word says to us, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. 
But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So far the reading of scripture. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing of the blessing that the Lord often, or that the Lord gives in marriage, Psalm 128, the verses 1, 2, and 3.
The text for the sermon this morning is taken from Malachi chapter 2. Malachi 2, the verses 10 through 16. You can find that on page 954 of your guest Bible. So Malachi 2, we start reading in verse 10. There God's word says, Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of his spirit in their union? And what was God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit, And do not be faithless. So far the word of God. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from Psalm 133, the verses 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the special gifts that God gives to his people is the gift of marriage. We're created as social beings. When you're married, then you get to enter into the the most intimate relationship with another person. You get to love and be loved. You get to wake up in the morning and snuggle together, to have meals together, to build a home together, to invite your closest family members and friends to share in your life, and to love each other. If God blesses you with children, then you get to to have these children and raise these children together. And it's such a bonding thing. They have a little part of each of you. You see parts of your character reflected in them. And you get to work to, to raise them up, to know God, to love God, to live with Him. And as life goes on, you get to support each other. You get to pray with each other and pray for each other. You get to encourage each other in a relationship with God. You get to to share the insights that you received and encourage the other person to grow in their own relationship with God. You get to help each other to deal with sin, to hold each other accountable. It's often in the context of marriage that the sinfulness of our hearts is, is most exposed. That's when we get to see who we are. It's reflected in our dealings with the people around us. And the Lord uses that for good. It's often a really difficult process to go through. But God uses it for good. He uses it for our growth in holiness. When we see who we really are, then God 
He calls us to repent and to change, to turn away from our sin and to live a holy life. And then sometimes you have other difficulties. You know how it goes, brothers and sisters, disappointment at work, or hard days with the kids, or troubles in the family, maybe financial pressures. Well, you get to walk a journey together. You get to support and encourage each other through all the circumstances of life. The greatest thing is that you get to do that in the covenant relationship of marriage. When you marry, then you give your word to the other person that you're going to be true to them for the rest of your life. Well, it's when you, when you have the safety of that commitment that you can truly help each other to go the distance. But then you know, marriage is not always a gift. Even though this is the place where the Lord delights to grant huge blessings to us, it's also the place where at times we suffer the most. It's when those who are nearest and dearest to us sin against us that can lead to, to profound suffering and disappointment. And there's a couple of other ways in which marriage can be a huge trial and even a curse. And Malachi addresses those here in our text. The people of Israel made two fundamental flaws in relation to marriage in which they sin against God and in which they experienced a huge amount of suffering in their lives. In the first place, they got married to people who were not believers. They got married, as Malachi said, to descendants of a foreign god. And the Lord was not pleased with that. And he was not going to bless them because of it. You know how it goes in real life, brothers and sisters. If you want to invite suffering into your life, then get married to someone who doesn't share your convictions about God. And then the second thing that they did is they broke their marriage vows. They were getting divorced. Well, it's brutal. If you lose love and faithfulness, if you're not true to your word, that often leads to a profound amount of suffering. What's even more brutal is that as a result of their faithlessness, they no longer rested under God's blessing. God's face was not shining on them any longer. Well, the Lord is a good God. He's a God who wants to bless us. And he wants us to thrive. And so when he saw his people in this situation, then he sent Malachi to them. And Malachi taught them, you can't do this. You can't commit these kinds of sins. You cannot expect to rest under God's blessing if you live in these ways. And so as an act of grace, the prophet called them to repent and to return in faithfulness to God. I preach God's word to you this morning with this theme, do not break faith with the wife of your youth. We're going to see two things, the calling to be faithful in whom you marry, and secondly, the calling to be faithful to your marriage covenant. On verse 11, Malachi addresses the first sin that the Israelites were committing. He says, Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. These people were getting married to foreigners. You know how that happens, brothers and sisters. In real life, they knew they were supposed to get married within the covenant community. They knew God's expectation for them. They'd come over from, from exile. It had been a century earlier. They'd settled into the promised land. 
but there were still other foreigners who were living among them, who were still living in the land. What happens in that situation, if you're a single person, you get a little older, then at some stage, sometimes it happens that you think to yourself, well, I would really, really like to get married. And so what you do is you start casting your net just a little bit wider. You don't want to disappoint your parents, but over time, your desire for relationship overrides everything else. And so you, you pursue this relationship. You meet a guy at work, and he's a really nice guy. And you like him a lot, and you can imagine a life together with him. And so you pursue it. You go ahead and do it. Well, your parents talk to you. They try to talk you out of it. The elders get involved. They also have conversations with you. And you tell them that you're a Christian. That you have every intention to remain a Christian. You're not going to get married to somebody who's not a believer and leave the faith. No, your intention is to bring the person into the church. You know, they're, they're somewhat interested. They're willing to come along with you. And so you tell the elders and you tell the others, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring them along. Well, how does it end? Sometimes it ends in a good way. Sometimes that's indeed what happens. But other times it doesn't end in a good way. There's other times where you leave. Over time, you love the person so dearly and you're so committed to the relationship that even though it becomes evident that they're not a believer and that they're not going to become a believer, your heart is so committed that you can't walk away. And so one day, you get married to the person. You're married to someone who's not a believer. What does the Lord think about that? He talks about it in really harsh terms. Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. God says Judah has been faithless. She has broken faith. She's done an abomination. A detestable thing has been done in Israel. Well, you wonder to yourself, is it really all that bad? You're not planning on abandoning your faith. All you want to do is get married to someone who you love. But the Lord reason, explains the reason why he's so harsh in verse 11. He says, you've married the daughter of a foreign god. You're establishing an intimate relationship with someone whose allegiances are not with the Lord, but are elsewhere. Someone who serves a different god. And the Lord was very clear with his people up front. When they first came into the promised land, he told his people, he says, you don't do that. Deuteronomy 7, verse 2, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. You don't get married to someone who worships another god because in the end, that turns your heart away from the Lord. And in the end, the Lord will destroy you quickly. Well, when I have this conversation with those who are interested in pursuing with someone who's not a believer, then they always say, I'd never turn away from the Lord. I'm a Christian. And that's never going to change. But you know, it's interesting. This passage here in Deuteronomy 7, the Lord says this is what happens. Well, the corollary of it is in Psalm 106. Psalm 106. 
This is what happened. Psalm 106. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations, and they learned to do as they did. And they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. They got involved with these people. And in the end, they started worshiping their gods. And if you think it's never going to happen to you, the Lord says, you know, it happened to the wisest person on earth. It happened to Solomon. Back in those days, how do you make sure that you have an alliance with a foreign king and that you don't attack each other? Well, you get married to that king's daughter. You take the princess to be your wife. And then you have children together. And then her father has an interest in you, and you have an interest in him, and you never attack each other. And so Solomon did that not just with one or two people. He did that with many people from many kingdoms. And so he had all these foreign women that were part of his, his family that he got married to. And what was the result of that? In the end, the scripture tells us that in the end he turned away. His heart was not fully devoted to his God. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. It's 1 Kings 11, verse 4 and following. You actually read the rest of the passage, and it's so profoundly sad, because Solomon knew better. In his case, it took a bunch of decades. It didn't happen right away, but it took a bunch of decades. But over the decades, he ended up compromising the service of God. Well, the same thing was happening to these people in Malachi's time. They're getting married to foreigners. They had broken the faith. They were desecrating the sanctuary. Their hearts were not fully devoted to the Lord their God. And when Malachi challenged them, they went down to the heart of the issue. He called it out. He asked in verse 10, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Then why are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? It's in Exodus 4.22, when the Lord calls his people out of Egypt, that he calls himself their father. I am your father and you are my people. And Malachi picks up on that. He says, have we not one father? God has entered into this covenant relationship with his people. He's called them to himself. And so Malachi says, how can you get together with, with foreigners, those who worship a foreign god? That was a detestable thing. You broke the covenant with God. And in the end, Malachi pronounces God's judgment on this. It's in verse 12. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Malachi saying, if you go to the temple to worship, around, worship God, and then turn around, you get married to an unbeliever, you get married to the daughter of a foreign god, may God cut you off from his people. Stark words. God's really serious about this, brothers and sisters. He knows where it ends. And so he doesn't want us to go there. And so he says, you don't, you don't do that. You don't enter a relationship with someone who's not a believer. You don't even start a relationship like that. It's in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. In the New Testament corollary, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Then he spells it out the same way. What does light have to do with darkness? 
What does Christ have to do with Belial? What does the temple of God have to do with the temple of idols? You have nothing to do with someone who doesn't know God. And so don't be unequally yoked. Don't, don't be in this intimate human relationship with this other person. In the words of 1 Corinthians 7 verse 40, if a woman's husband dies, and Paul says she's free to be married to whomever she wishes, only in the Lord. He must be a believer in God. Well, that leads Malachi to the second issue. The people in his time, they're not only getting married to foreigners. The issue there is that they were getting divorced from their wives, their their believing wives, in order to get married to these foreigners. And we're not told why. We don't know if it was romantic or sexual interest. Maybe it was that these, these foreign women were better placed, they had business connections or political connections, and the people were trying to get ahead. We don't know the situation. But we do know that they were getting divorced in order to get married to these women. And it made the Lord extremely upset. He wouldn't accept their offerings. In verse 14, he explains why. The Lord is witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Your God speaks the truth of what happens when you say your wedding vows. When you make your vow, you're not only making promises in the company of the other person or the company of the people who are, who are present in the congregation. When you make your vows, then you do that in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. When you promise to be true in good days and bad, in health and sickness, in riches and poverty, for as long as you both shall live, then God is a witness. He's looking down from heaven and he's seeing you make those vows. And just to put it in the context of Israel, in Israel the way it worked is that whenever you had business dealings, whenever something went down within the the city, then the deals happened in the city gate. You had the older men. They, They didn't have the the same ability to work. They got to the stage, these were the elders, these were the men who were responsible for the care of the town and the surrounding area. They would sit in the city gate and they would be the judges. And so something would happen, if if you were gonna do a business deal, you did it in the presence of the witness, of the judges, of these old men. If someone was getting married, you did it in the presence of these witnesses. What happened was done in the presence of the, the older men of the community and they made the judgments about what really happened. And later on, they would testify to that. No, Boaz really took over Ruth and he really paid the price. We were there, we saw it, we know what happened. Well, now the Lord's saying, I'm a witness. I was there. I saw it. I know what happened. You made a vow. You promised to be true to this person for the rest of your life. And that's the core issue. God says here in verse 14, he wouldn't accept their offerings because he was witness between you and your wife to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. When you marry, then you enter into a covenant. You promise to be true to each other for the rest of your lives. Well, these men were being faithless you know what the word faithless here means? 
It can be translated as faithless. It can also be translated as treacherous, or to act deceitfully. They were treacherous towards their wives. In verse 15, God spells out why it was so terrible that they were faithless. God says, did he not make them one with a portion of his spirit in their union? And what was God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Did not God make them one? That's an allusion back to Genesis 2. When God first established marriage, he, he gave his direction for marriage. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You are joined to your wife. You're joined together. There's, there's a permanence to your marriage. It's actually interesting. The word here in Malachi 2, she is your companion. The word for companion, sometimes it's an architectural term. It's used of a, a joint or a seam in a building that's bound together. It's used as cementing two things together. Well, she is your companion. She's cemented to you. That's what God's saying. You're joined together. And his intention is that as one, that you maintain that bond. And then God says, you're not just one flesh. He says, you become one spirit. Malachi says, you are given a portion of the spirit in your union. When God binds you together in marriage, it's not just that you're physically or sexually one, it's that you become spiritually one. You have a spiritual union together with your husband or wife. And why? Well, God says here, because he's seeking godly offspring. The Lord knows how we made this world. He knows that the place where children can naturally thrive is in stable, godly families. It's not to say that the children of divorced people can't be godly. It's also not to say that those who are single can't raise godly children. That's not what it's saying. What he's saying here is that he's saying the place that God created for children to come to know him and to thrive is in healthy Christian families. He's seeking godly offspring. And he does that in the context of faithful, happy marriages. You know, this is not the only point God talks about that. The other place he talks about it is in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, the Lord says that, that the marriage between a man and a woman is a reflection of the relationship between Christ and his church. As Christ laid down his life for his church, so a man is to lay down his life for his wife. And as the church submits to Christ, so also a woman is to submit to her husband. And then Paul says, he says, it's a profound mystery. But he says, he's, he's talking about Christ and his church. And so what he's really saying here is he's saying that, that our marriages are a reflection of the relationship that God has with his people, that Christ has with his church. And then when I teach this to my pre-marriage students, do some premarital counseling, we talk this through. I always ask them, I say, you know, God intends you to relate together in this way. He wants husbands to really love their wives and serve their wives in love. And he wants wives to follow the guidance and leadership of their husbands. And then I ask them, who gets front row seats? What's the children? When children see healthy marriage, where husband and wife 
fulfill the role, the calling that God's given them, where they love each other as God intends, then there's peace, and there's faithfulness, and there's stability. And then children, they get into this context where they grow up. And deep down, they understand what love and faithfulness looks like. Deep down, they understand what it means to, to know God. They know how God relates to his people because they see it in front of them. And deep in their heart, then they believe in God and they're able to trust in him. Well, that's what God's saying here. He's saying he's seeking godly offspring. And that's why he says he calls us to be true to our marriages. God actually says if you get divorced, that you undermine the whole intention in marriage. It's in the next verse, verse 16, for the man who hates and divorces, says the Lord, or actually here the translation is, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. Actually, this, this verse is a really difficult verse to translate. I don't know if you remember, but many of the older translations, they used to use the translation, I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and the man who covers his garment with violence. And here in the ESV, and there's other translations, they don't mention that God hates divorce. And the reason for that is because the Hebrew is not clear. It's not clear who the subject is of the sentence. Is the subject God, or is it the subject, this other man? Is it he who hates and divorces, covers his garment with violence? You know, it's really hard to say with confidence how to translate this. It could be either. If you think back to Malachi 1, you have the word hate, and actually here it's, in our translation, the ESV, it says, for the man who does not love his wife. Literally, it says, for the man who hates his wife. And it's the same term that's used back in Malachi 1, Esau have I loved, but Jacob have I hated. And the word for hate there means God doesn't have a covenant relationship with Esau. It means covenant rejection. I have a covenant with, with Jacob, but I've rejected Esau. I don't have a covenant relationship together with him. Well, if you, if you use the word in that sense, then you can understand the ESV translation. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces, says the Lord, covers his garment with violence. Does that mean God's okay with, with divorce? Well, not at all. The whole point of this chapter is that God's not okay with, with divorce. In verse 15, he says that explicitly. He talks about it in Genesis 2, verse 24. He talks about it in, Mal- in Matthew 19, verse 4, and in quite a number of other New Testament passages. God says that he makes the two one. And what he has joined together let man not separate. But then what Malachi also does here in this text is he reflects on what happens when a man gets divorced. Our text says that the man who divorces covers his garment with violence. What does that mean? Well, in the Israelite context, when you get married, then part of the marriage ceremony is that you wrap your garment around your wife. It's a symbol of protection, of care, of looking after her. If you want to think of an image, you can think of Boaz and Ruth. At one stage, Ruth went and she slipped in and she laid at Boaz's feet and she put her garment over top of him. Well, symbolically, she's asking him to marry her. That's what 
that's what that symbolized. You, you put your garment of protection over your wife. Well, here, God turns the image around. When you divorce your wife, then you cover your garment with violence. You cast her off. You do violence to her. Instead of putting a garment of protection around her, you're putting a garment of violence around her. Well, God says, don't ever do that. He calls you to be faithful to your marriage. He calls you to live up to your commitments. At root, he calls you to be faithful to the word that you've given for the rest of your life. These are important words, brothers and sisters. It's important for us to reflect on this. You know, we live in a time where many people don't understand the value of giving your word. We live in a time where, where people are getting married, but increasingly, we have people getting divorced. That's happening you know, much more so within the church as well, especially among some of the younger couples. What's going on? Why is it happening? I couldn't really say for sure. It seems on one level that the culture of our time is, is influencing our thinking. We live in a time where where we put ourselves in the center of life. My life and, and my desires and my pleasure and, and my wants. And if marriage fits in that, then that's great. I'd love to be married. But if my husband or spouse doesn't do it for me anymore, my husband or wife, then, then I don't want to be married. Then I'm going to do what I want and I'm going to get a divorce. So people don't understand the notion of commitment. You give your word. And you keep your word. You do it for life. In good days and bad, in health and sickness, in riches and poverty, for as long as you both shall live. Not just the good days, but also the tough days. When you're buried in your work, and when you drift apart. And when you realize that some of your characters, your spouse's character traits, are not going to change. And when you're no longer attracted to each other, but you're attracted to somebody else. You wish you could spend your life with them. We have conflict in relationship. I always have that conversation with the young couples when they get married. And I say, you don't have to get married. Maybe you're engaged, that's, that's wonderful and that's beautiful, but you're not committed yet. But when you are married, then you're in for life. 50 years. You're signing up for the next 50 years. And you're saying, in good days and bad, I'm in. I'm committed. Well, it's a beautiful thing, brothers and sisters. It is a great gift of God. These days, most people get involved in marriages. and They intend to do it for as long as the love lasts. And they make up their prenuptial arrangements, agreements, where they sign off about who's going to get what when the relationship breaks down. And so they go in expecting that they're going to get out. Well, if that's the spirit, no wonder you get divorced. You're going to get divorced. That's going to happen. There are going to be hard days, no matter who you are. But the gift of God is that he says, I want it different. For you, my people, I want it different. I want you to make the commitment, and I want you to be faithful, and I want you to be loving, and I want you to do it long term. And you don't do that in your own strength. 
It's not about you. It's not about how good you are and how strong you are and how faithful and how steadfast you are. It's about the Lord Jesus and how faithful he is and how loving he is and how steadfast he is and how he kept his word at every turn. He did it. And he did it for you. And you get his spirit. When you get married, then God gives you a portion of his spirit in your union. He helps you. And I always say to young people, I say that's the beautiful thing about getting married as a Christian. You have the Lord who stands beside you and who helps you through it. He'll carry you and he'll bring you. He'll enable you to do it long term. Now you're thinking to yourself, what about those exceptions? Yes, it's true. There are some miserable situations where the Lord does make some exceptions. If a man commits sexual immorality, Matthew 7, the Lord says that is an exception where he allows divorce. Or if a man is married to someone who's not a believer, and if the unbeliever doesn't want to be with you anymore, then that's another exception. The Lord says in that case, the man is no longer bound. You're not bound to someone who's an unbeliever and doesn't want to get married to you. And the hardest question is always, well, what about those situations where someone's abusive? Someone's unfaithful. You have a man who's manipulative and controlling. A man who, who's violent, aggressive, puts his wife down all the time, isolates her, controls the kids, controls her. What happens in those situations? Can't get into it this morning, brothers and sisters, but in those situations, then you call it out. God gives us a process. He says, when someone sins, then you put it on the table. And you call the man to repent. You tell him he has to change. And if he doesn't listen, then you bring other people involved. Then you be open about it. You include other people. And that's the hardest thing in the world, is to include others into your marriage. But you do that. You open it up and you include other people. And you tell him the truth. And if he doesn't change, then the office bearers get involved. The office bearers have a serious responsibility to hold the man to account for the sin that he commits. And if he doesn't change, then he's not a believer in Jesus Christ. That he's disciplined and he's excommunicated from the church. Now, it's not uncommon in that kind of situation that the man's in a place where he falls in one of the other categories. Where he doesn't want to be married. He doesn't want to be around anymore. Where he commits adultery with someone else. In that situation, the woman's not bound. But brothers and sisters, those are the exceptions. It can happen, it does happen. But those are the exceptions. It's God's intention that we keep our vows, that we live wholesome lives together as husband and wives. And it's the hardest thing in the world, because in marriage, your character comes out. People see who you really are. And that's the beauty of it. You can repent of sin. You can come close to God. It's the one opportunity where the Lord confronts you most clearly with who you are. And he calls you to himself so that you may receive his grace and his help in your time of need. He gives you his spirit. Once in marriage, God gives you to each other to be able to do that, brothers and sisters. To assist one another. To help each other through the hard days. To encourage one another and to raise godly children. He's very kind. 
And he tells us, till death do us part. He will help us, and he will renew us. He will restore us. Now you hear these things, brothers and sisters, and it's pretty quiet in church this morning. We're all listening. Because in some way, we're affected by these things. There's a bunch of people here this morning who've been divorced. A bunch of us who've gotten together with those who are not believers. There's a bunch of us who are in a space where we're in marriages where it's not healthy. It's not the way it ought to be. We're in stress. We wonder how to manage that and what to do with that. It's really humbling. You have to understand God's intention here. He sends Malachi to the people to bless them. He says, I'm your father, and I love you, and I want it to go well with you. And because I'm your father and love you, I'm sending my prophet to you. And he's telling you the truth. He tells you the truth of who I am and who you are. I'm your God who's witnessed the vows you've made. I'm the God who you serve. I am your father. I've entered into this relationship with you where I am your father and you are my people. And I don't want to lose that. And so I tell you, don't get married to those who are not believers. But I'm your God who also calls you to be true to each other and to do that long term. And I've given you my spirit. I'm reminding you of that. I've given you my spirit to help you with this. And so if you're in stress, then you look to me and you repent of your sin. You rely upon me, and you seek my face, and I'll give you my help. God says, I want relationship with you. And he reminds you, he says, I've sent my son to do it for you. There's a lot of miserable situations in our lives. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of sin. The Lord is a God who redeems. He's a God who renews. He's a God who makes us into new people so that we can have a beautiful life today. We look forward to a beautiful future. And so he calls us to rely upon him, to take his word to heart, to live it out, and to trust him that for Jesus' sake, he will help us and he will bring us forward. Well, let's pray to him. Let's rely upon him for his grace. Amen. Before we pray, brothers and sisters, let's sing together. First, we're going to sing of the, the beauty of unity in relationships. Psalm 133, verses 1 and 2.
Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. In our prayer this morning, we're also going to remember our brother Michael Verbruch. Brother heard the news this past week that his eldest sister passed away. So we'll pray that God would comfort our brother during this time. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you this morning, Lord. You're a God who, who teaches us about marriage. Marriage is an institution that you instituted, and it receives a blessing when we do it your way. And you tell us to get married to believers. And Lord, we have to confess to you that, that we've sinned against you in this. There's a number of us among us here this morning they, that we started relationships with those who are not believers. And Lord, sometimes that turned out well, sometimes it didn't turn out well. Father, we, we entrust this to you. We understand your calling, that we only get married to a believer. And we, we humble ourselves before you because of our sin. And we ask you to forgive us for that. And then we pray, Father, that you would bless us. That you, you help us to understand that we're only allowed to get married to someone who knows and loves you. Especially of the, the young people in our congregation, Lord, they're, they're looking forward to, to finding a life's partner, they're looking forward to getting married. We ask that you would impress it on their minds, that they, they get married to someone who knows you and loves you. That's the only place that they can expect blessing. That's the only place where it goes well. And so we ask for your help in that. We also wish to, to bring some of the, the single members of our congregation to you, Lord. It's a difficult time some, for some people to be single. Some people would love to be married, and, and they're in a really difficult circumstance, cause them a lot of, of loneliness to be, to be on their own. And Father, we want to entrust them to your throne of grace. We want to pray that you protect them, that you hold on to them, that you keep them safe. We want to ask that you give them a special measure of your spirit, that they, they continue to understand your calling to get married to a believer, and that they, they not compromise in that. And then, Father, we pray that you'd also comfort them, that they can find peace in life, they can find a place where they can find rest and joy, and that it would go well for them. And we also have some single members of our congregation who are also at peace with that. They don't want, they're not looking forward to getting married, but they found rest with the fact that they are single. We pray, Lord, that you would please bless them in that as well, that you be a father to them, that you surround them with your care, and that you, your face may shine upon them. And Lord, we pray that you, you look after them, and who knows what your will is. It might even be that they yet receive someone from you. But, but that's your doing, Father. And, and we give that over to you. And then, Lord, we, we also pray for, for the young people within our church. That you would please help them to grow in a relationship with you. It's really when they walk closely with you. When they know you. When they love you. When they're really intimate with you. That they will find and be attracted to someone who's in that space. And so we pray for their spiritual maturity. We pray that you would draw them near to yourself, that you would reveal yourself to them, that they may read your word and contemplate it, that they meditate upon who you are and what you've done for them. Grant that they may not be distracted by the, by the world around them, but that they may forsake this world and that they may serve you faithfully. And then please hold on to them. Pray that as parents that we're able to, to bring up our children to understand these things, give us wisdom. And help us to impress these things in the hearts of our children. And please grant your blessing upon that. And Father, we also pray for us in our marriages. We have to confess that in so many ways our lives are a mess. We're sinners. And the one place that comes out most profoundly is in our marriages. 
It's when we walk an intimate relationship with a husband or wife, then we get to see who we really are. We get to see their pride and selfishness. We get to see the ways in which we're, we're greedy or in which we get angry. The ways in which we, we don't communicate well. Lord, we, we humble ourselves because of these things. Sometimes it also happens that we have trouble in our marriages because we're so busy with other things. We're swamped with work or because of financial pressures or because we're so busy with, with our children or because we're distracted by other things. Father, we want to entrust our marriages to you. We want to ask for your blessing upon them. We pray that you would help us to love each other from the heart. Help us to be true to our vows. Lord, we ask that when we make a marriage vow that we're able to fulfill that that we understand that marriage is for life and that we, we not discard our marriages for frivolous reasons. Lord, please grant each of us a measure of your spirit. Give us union in your spirit. Please grant that as we encourage each other in faith, as we encourage each other to walk with you, that our marriages may be a source of blessing and a source of joy for us. Dear Father in heaven, we also want to pray that you be near to those who who face other really difficult circumstances. Sometimes it happens that, that our spouse sins in serious ways. They commit adultery or, or maybe they become unbelievers and they drift away from you. Maybe they become abusive, maybe violent, controlling, manipulative. Lord, we, we want to ask that you be near to those members of our congregation who experience these things. We want to pray, Father, that you would care for them and comfort them. We pray that you would help them and that you carry them through it. Lord, sometimes that's us. We're the person who's done that. We're the person who's sinned, and we've sinned in grievous ways against you and others. If that's us, Lord, we pray that, that you would again forgive us, that you work repentance in our hearts, that we see our sin for what it is, that we're willing to acknowledge it, that we can be honest about it, and that we may truly repent of our sin. We ask, Lord, that you grant that in this way that we can take responsibility for what we've done wrong, and that we may seek to be a blessing in the lives of the people who we sinned against. Dear Father, we pray that you bless the office bearers as well. Help us as congregation to set a, a stage where, where we call sin out, where we call people to repent, and we encourage each other to walk in faithfulness before you. Please also be with the office bearers, that they can rightly handle your word of truth, that they can speak truth in the hearts and lives of your people. Grant the elders wisdom so that they can help your people to walk in faith before you. Dear Father, please... Save our marriages. Help us to, to walk closely with you. And then, Lord, we, we pray also that you would please help us to, to be a light to others. We want to ask that, that there can be a spirit of love and unity among us. We pray that husbands can serve their wives in love. We pray that wives can follow the leadership of their husbands. We ask, Father, that you would please create a context in our families where there's, there's unity where we can have the same mind with one another, where we can live in peace and in harmony. Please grant that our, our families are safe places, that our children can grow up in a context where there's safety, love, and unity, where they can understand who you are and how you relate to your people, that they can learn to, to believe in you, that they learn to trust you and trust people around them, that they can have rest deep down in their souls. Father, help us, help us all to make these things a reality. Forgive us where it's not, and please change us where we need changing. Dear Father in heaven, we, we pray that, that our church 
can be a blessing for others, not only by speaking the truth, but also by modeling it in our relationships. Help that within our congregation, that we have many beautiful, healthy marriages where your rich blessing comes down upon us. And then, Father, we also pray that you would please take care of us in all the other circumstances of our lives. I want to ask, Lord, that you please be with those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. We think especially of our, our brother Verbruch and his wife and their family. But once again, our brother has lost another sibling. He's lost many of his siblings the past two years. And he grieves their death. He also grieves that, that some of them are not believers in you. They don't, they don't know you. Lord, we, we pray for a brother and his wife and their family that you would comfort them, that you be a father to them, and that you carry them through this time. Father, please be near to them, and please surround them with your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that, that you are our God, and that, that we may be in this special covenant relationship with you. And we thank you for, for the treasure we have. And we pray, Lord, that we may, may live out of this relationship in every circumstance. We also pray for those who are under doctor's care. Father, there's some who they don't want their names mentioned, but they, they're under care and there's some difficult situations going on in their lives. Also, think of some others. We think of, of our brother Trent Courthouse. This past week, he's in the hospital for a few days again. He had some complications after his surgery. Thankful that that turned out well. Thankful that our brother can worship with us this morning. Father, please grant continued healing to him and grant that it may go well for him. Also think of our brother Wally Tenhaf. He's scheduled for brain surgery later this month. Father, we ask that you would provide comfort to him, give him the peace of Christ. We also entrust his wife, Leone, to your throne of grace. We pray that you be a father to her, that you, that you carry her and care for her, that you assist her as she continues to help her husband. Father, please be near to their family and please be a father to them and help them through this time as well. Father, we also pray that you take care of the other elderly members of our congregation. There's quite a few members who have different health concerns, who struggle in different ways. Please be, be near to each one of them. Please give them relief from their pain. Please help them with the limitations that they face. They're not, they can't move or, or they can't see well or they can't drive or they have other, other limitations. Please help them through these things. Help them to accept that. And please comfort them as they, as they face these things. Your Father, we, we thank you that we can bring these things to you. We also pray, Lord, that you be near to those who, who suffer because they, they struggle with doubt, because they struggle in their faith. We ask that you work a deep faith in our hearts, that you grant through your word to encourage us in, in knowing you and loving you and walking with you. We pray, Lord, that you grant the peace and joy of that relationship to your people. Lord, thank you for, for the day that you give us now. Thank you for the, for the fellowship we get to have with each other. Please bless us together. Please keep sin and evil far from us. We ask that you shine your face on us and that you do it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord. The collection this morning is going to be for the mission work in P&G. For the collection, I'd like to read with you just a few verses. It is in Isaiah 49 that the Lord gives us a prophecy of the coming of the Christ, and he tells us his task. 
He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So as a result of, of sending the Christ and his spirit into this world that we today may believe the word and that we're also privileged to share the hope of the gospel with those in P&G. Then after your collections, we're going to sing together from hymn 49, verses 1 and 2.
Receive now God's blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.